You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. Well, here we are. No Kirk, but we gained a Lisa. And what did Colleen say today about Kirk being gone? Well, the cat's away. The mice will play. And how does this mice, <laughs> how does this mouse like to play? With shoes. Kirk always says, oh, we just went to shoes again. Yep, of course, with Bracken, we're going straight to shoes. Well, guess what? I can do whatever I want while you're gone, Kirk. And we're just going to do nothing, nothing but talk about shoes today. Which is also my love language. Her love language is shoes. Yeah. It's not true. No. All right, so I have compiled the most commonly asked questions about shoes over the past year, but specifically over the last few months, we've had a bunch of these questions popping up. And so with Kirk not here to rail me in, rail me in, <laughs> rain me in, to con- corral me, he's not, ra- corral. he's not railing me, that's for sure. We're just going to do nothing but talk about shoes. Deal. How do you feel about that? That's fine. What do you bring to the table to this conversation today? Not much, to be honest. I can read the question really well. I don't know much about shoes. Who buys all your shoes? You. Who picks out your shoes? You. Well, sometimes you ask me what colors I like. There we go. But mostly I like black shoes. Yes. Because the most important part of shoes other than fit is... If they look good. Yeah. Color. Plus, I only... All winter, I only wear black leggings. In the summer, I basically only wear black shorts, so I, I like to match. Yeah. And like a normal person who only has one or two shoes, you can't match every top to a shoe. So you have to just have black so that it matches every bottom. Yeah. As you can see, I'm going to match every top or every hat to everything I have on my feet. Yeah. Well, but enough about that. Yeah. I'm going to do one quick life update. On Race Brain, I wasn't going to talk about this at all, but on Race Brain, they were pressuring me for why I wasn't committing to doing Battle Bunker, and it was because I had an MRI on my right knee scheduled. Well, the MRI is back, and I have no additional tears to my knee, so that's phenomenal. Uh, any issue I have in there right now is fixable through rehab and PT. So, not full steam ahead, but some steam ahead. Good news. Which is better than none. Yeah, some steam is always better than no steam. Yeah. Always. Unless your car is overheating. Which happened to us. Yes, it did. That was a fun day. We ran at the Illinois Spartan Race in June of some year. And it was very hot and we had a family vacation to get to up in northern Wisconsin. Up in the UP, right? Sister Bay? That's not UP, but what would that be considered? Door County. Door County. And Sister Bay. And so we finished the race. I hightailed it home, loaded up our minivan, and drove up to meet our family. And our our vehicle, our van, overheated. Uh, the, the coolant hose became unhooked in the engine bay and just sprayed all the coolant out everywhere inside of the engine bay. And it just smoked up like crazy, and the car immediately overheated. And we had to pull over on the side of the highway. And we were a mile and a half from the next exit and so i pushed the car he did what any normal person would do and that is push the car 
rather than <laughs> call a tow truck. Well, it was Sunday. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And we were kind we of in issues. between major towns. And so you could have waited for a tow truck from somewhere, but it would have been a big cost. Mm-hmm. And pushing a van isn't that much different than training for OCR or High Rocks. So the downside was it was like 92 or 93 degrees. It was very hot. The car had overheated, so we couldn't turn it on. And I mean, basically at all, we couldn't have air conditioning going. So Lisa's in the car steering, right? You were steering or was Brayden steering? I was steering. You were steering. You sure? Brayden didn't steer? I'm pretty sure. She also had a baby who was still at nursing age on her lap, sweating on her and two other children under the age of seven at the time. It was kind of a mess, and I had a mile and a half till the next exit, and it was mostly uphill. Well, yes, but I actually just got to have like a little dance party with the kids in the car because we turned on Greatest Showman. Yes. Greatest Showman. Showman. And then we sang and we had a little dance party. So Bracken was actually just really sweaty, and I was having a great time with the kids. It was so hot. I changed into my OCR shoes. Because I was sweating through everything and I needed some grip because we were trying to stay off on the gravel on the side of the road because this was an interstate and cars are going 75, 80 on the way by. So I had my OCR shoes on. I, I ended up taking, uh, I think, everything else off except for shorts because it was so hot. But then I had to put on gloves because the back of the car was so hot that I could barely touch it. And I was sweating so much that it was soaked with sweat dripping down off me, and I needed the rubber gloves for for grip on the back to be able to push it. Because I just couldn't lean up against and push it because it was too hot for my skin. So it was a long push. And after about a mile, the first car pulled over to check on us. It took a mile of me pushing a car. I mean, how fast can you... How long did that mile take? It was like a 40-minute mile? They probably heard the show tunes, and they just kept going. I mean, it was at least 40 minutes to walk that mile, pushing a fully loaded vehicle and no one stopped for a mile and then eventually one uh a mormon and his son who was out on his uh doing rounds going door to door and doing some some uh what would you call it mormon things some proselytizing stopped and they rolled up their shirt sleeves and they helped me push it the last half mile and then we coasted down into the walmart parking lot and then we waited for it to cool down then we fixed it and by we you mean you well, you were in charge of three single-digit-age kids in a car that did not have air conditioning in the mid-90s, in the middle of summer. So neither of us had a great day. And I had raced that morning already. So that was on race legs. I was smoked by the end of this. But that's why you stay in shape, for that exact moment right there. So we have had a car overheat. And in that one circumstance, no steam is better than a little steam. That is true. So nice, quick little intro right there. <laughs> we're ready to rock. So Shoes. Shoes, shoes, and more shoes today. And the general outline of this is there's a lot of confusion over super shoes and of how to choose the correct shoes for you on the road and trails. So I'm just going to talk at you. I'll ask the questions. All right. You keep me on track. You tell the people. Are you ready? Let's rock and roll. All right. So Bracken, what exactly is a super shoe? It's a great question, Lisa, and everyone else who sent that in and asked, because Super Shoe is thrown around everywhere this day, this day, these days. So if you look on the wall behind me, if you're watching on video, there are one, two, three, four, five, six shoes on there that would all be considered Super Shoes. And of those six, I would say only 
two have full super shoe properties. Two more have partial super shoe properties and two of them really aren't super shoes at all. So I know that's already confusing, but I'm gonna break it down. So super shoes have two components. They have super foam and they have a plate, a carbon fiber plate. Those two are necessary to become a super shoe. So foam has been used as the midsole material and sometimes the outsole material for decades in the shoe game, but they have recently come up with better foam. It is lighter, it is springier, it has higher rebound at a faster rate, and that is advancement number one. Advancement number two is finding a way to have a lightweight carbon fiber plate inside of the shoe in order to give the shoe two different things. The first is structure give structure to the super foams, which are often very, very squishy and do not have the same amount of stiffness and compliance as an EVA foam. And so they would very easily squish back and forth and out the sides, or you'd hit the ground and just kind of sink into them. So they need something to give them form and the carbon fiber plate does that. And the carbon fiber plate also has a curvature to it, which promotes your foot propelling itself forward once it hits the ground. It hits and it goes with the curvature of the plate to enhance propulsion when you run. So super shoe must have both components. But just having both components does not make it a super shoe. Why doesn't it squish out the sides? Well, that's the plate's a only on top, right? fantastic question. First of all, they it's called tuning. They tune the foam so that it has enough rigidity to it so that it won't just squish out the sides. But as we'll get to later with the trail shoes, some types of foam actually would squish out the sides on trails and so they have different ways of caging the foam you'll hear about this in shoes they'll say i have a caged layer on the outside or caged with a plastic uh, torsion control plate or with some sort of uh, eva caging around it so the density of the foam oftentimes will change as it gets further to the edge to avoid that very thing adidas was one of the first companies to use any sort of super foam when they created boost it was the precursor to the precursor to modern day super foam, and they actually had plastic cages around the heel and in the midfoot to keep it from being too squishy. Mm. So they actually have to have different. Uh, you 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 kind of can measure not kind of you can measure the the squishiness, the resistance to squishing with a durometer, and the durometer readings change throughout many of these shoes. Some of them don't. It's the same throughout. Others have different density foam throughout. So how can a shoe have super foam and or a plate and not be a super shoe? Or how can it have both of those and be better than other super shoes? That's one of the questions people have once they realize that many of these shoes all claim to be super, but many of them just aren't as fast as others. So the, uh, the first real super shoe that came out that had super critical foam in it and a highly effective carbon plate was the Nike Vaporfly. It was called the 4%. And that was because it, in lab testing, was provable to increase many runners by 4% in terms of efficiency. Now, that doesn't mean you got 4% faster, but that in measuring your efficiency, which is really you need a, a force plate and you need uh, metabolic testing in order to do this, your efficiency improved by 4%. It's like gas mileage, essentially. It's not. That's an oversimplification, but 4% more efficient when you run. 
which means the energy you put in, if you were getting back out of your stride and with your caloric burn and your oxygen burn rate and all of that, or oxygen utilization, right? All of these things combined, if you put in 100% force into the ground and you got 80% back, with this you'd get 84% back. Now that is a way oversimplification, but that's essentially what efficiency is. It is not how much better you get. It's how much more efficient your movements are. So the shoe is enhancing your efficiency. Any movement you make, it gives you more return on that energy investment. Does that make sense? Yes. So when people say that Nike shoe makes you 4% better in the marathon, it does not. Some people might get 4% better, but it's not a guarantee. That's not why they named it. It's not 4% faster, but they left it just vague enough in their marketing that people like to think that. So that Plus was, you have the added bonus of the mental, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Placebo effect. Yes. And how much is the placebo it. effect worth up to? I don't know. 7%? So boom, over the 4%. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Case closed right there. <laughs> I solved it. It's over. Goodbye. Okay, sorry. So I that was the it. first effective one. And... The shoe industry basically took five years to start catching up to what Nike did on their very first shoe because they had a huge head start and they had the biggest R&D department. And what the Nike R&D department understood is that this new foam was revolutionary, but it must be paired with a really, really well-intended and designed plate. So the plate can give structure to the foam. Anyone can do that. You or I could set out right now to come up with a carbon fiber plate that would give structure to the foam. That's not difficult. But making the curvature to the, the, the plate, it basically looks like a spoon oftentimes. The way a spoon isn't just straight across to the scooping apparatus. It has a bit of a curve to it. The more dramatic the curvature of the plate, the more dramatic the roll through in the shoe when you initially contact the ground. But it's not just the dramatic nature of the curvature, because if it's too dramatic, it's inefficient to run with. It's also where that curvature begins and ends and where it peaks. So if it's too far back in the shoe, it really only helps heel strikers. Any midfoot or forefoot striker would get no benefit from the curvature of that plate because it's happening behind where their impact point is on the plate. So they can't load up that plate and torque it because it doesn't do anything, it's behind them. And if it's too far forward, only people that have very good toe-off could utilize that curvature of the plate because it would be happening right under like the balls of your feet. And if it's right in the middle, well, that would be... you just giggle about balls? No, your mom is listening. <laughs> so that's not why you giggled? No. That was just happens? You thought of something funny right as I said balls? <laughs> Definitely. My goodness, Lisa. Really you know, mature. You're a mother of three. I know. Anyway, if you put that curvature right in the middle of the foot kind of best of all worlds, but master of none. And so Nike did a lot of research into A, how tuned their foam needs to be. How light and springy can they make it without losing all amount of impact resistance, without losing all rebound off the ground. So finding that and then tuning that so that it worked well off the plate. So the perfect amount of rebound off the off the foam so that it would squish and compact to the point of interacting with the plate and the ground. And then where do you put the plate? Do you put the plate at the top of the foam, at the bottom of the foam, or in the middle of the foam? I was going to ask you that. You ready? Go ahead. So your foot doesn't just sit right on that plate. Because I've seen one. Is this the shoe? You should take mm -hmm. it out. I will. Now, most people won't see any video here. But okay. Okay. 
But well, anyway, I didn't I didn't yeah. know what it was. But you can't your foot can't just sit on that. First of all, it's like kind of plasticky, right? Very. It's hard. It's slippery, and it wouldn't be comfortable. You so would get in a dealer or something yeah. right away. That it can't, can't be, be the very top layer. top layer. No. No. But the further it is towards the bottom, the quicker that hits the ground, that hits the road. And then that gives it a solid layer for the foam to bounce up off of. And the further it is away from your foot, to most people, the more cushioned and comfortable that ride experience would be because you have all of that super foam in between your foot and the harshness of the plate and the road. So you put it in the middle. Well, you could. If you put it too far towards the bottom, there could be too much squish and then you lose some of that energy return. Mm -hmm. And then the carbon plate's smacking against the road. If you put it too high, well, it's very harsh on your foot, but your foot is instantly hitting something with some rigidity and your foot isn't going to be able to have much natural motion, which some people would like, some people would not like. In general, the stiffer the surface that you're running on, the faster you can get off the ground. Think if you're running on pavement versus running on sand or grass. When you run on pavement, you run very dainty and you get off the ground quickly. One, there's no cushion there. You don't want to slap the ground and roll all the way through. No one's really a heel striker when you're running barefoot on pavement. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. When you run in the sand, do whatever you want, but you have a ton of ground contact time. One, it absorbs all your energy. Two, it's soft and comfortable. And three, by the time your body is really centered and ready to push up off the sand, it's taken longer than it did on pavement and then grass is kind of the middle ground where there's impact resistance there there's some cushioning to that you still probably barefoot don't want a heel strike but you also don't get off the grass really quickly because there's a bit of give to it so that's the same way with shoes so on the track the harder the track is the faster the track usually is the harder and firmer your spike is with no cushioning the faster you can get off the ground so there is no cushioning whatsoever in sprint spikes because you don't want any give in between your foot and the ground. You want the moment your foot touches the ground to already have that energy bouncing off the ground and right back into your foot like a springboard. Hmm. Unlike a springboard, it doesn't sink in. So there's not that ground contact time waiting for the energy to come back off the ground. So if we were just a machine that couldn't break down, you would run barefoot with a carbon fiber plate with grip and traction on it strapped extremely securely to your foot you would run on the firmest but most bouncy ground surface possible because that would get you off the ground as fast as possible and propel you forward as fast as possible and allow your foot to do its natural propulsion cycle but in reality you can really only maintain that level of impact and rebound and high intensity stride for a short period of time before it really really takes a toll on your body so that's why people don't run marathons fast barefoot. There's that famous guy, uh, Bikila, I think his name is, who ran 212 and won the Olympic marathon. And there's a reason that the world record is, you know, 10 minutes, 11 minutes faster than that. It's just too damaging. So that's why having the carbon fiber plate matters, but the foam position matters as well. You want the firmness of the plate to make sure your foot doesn't do too much extraneous movement, but you can't have it too close to your foot either, or it's going to negatively impact your mechanics. And if it's too far away from your foot, the extra squish and comfort will actually kill the pop up off the ground. So the positioning of the plate matters as much as the curvature of the plate, which matters as much as the rebound, the resiliency, and the weight of the foam. 
So there are multiple moving pieces to get right. And that's why not every super shoe is truly a super shoe in terms of performance. Just in terms of the ingredients. Yes, exactly. You could give a five-year-old all the ingredients to a fantastic cake, and you could give a baker all the ingredients to to a fantastic cake, and they would taste vastly different. Same thing with these shoe companies. And that's what you get. If you look back at the original Hoka carbon fiber plate, which I believe was the second carbon fiber, what was called a super shoe to hit the market, they were ahead of everyone. They just got one out. And as a result, it really, really was a key point in their business model and in their company's future because they were there. And people bought them like crazy. And it was part of the reason that now I believe hokas are like athleisure and super trendy to just wear is because they got on the public consciousness in a sexy way for the first time, rather than just being like a space boot marshmallow shoe that you wear on the trails and look like a goofy, like hipster ultra runner. Make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. They came out with theirs and they had a pretty decent curvature to their plate. When you hit the ground, you felt the plate work to propel you forward, but it was such a stiff shoe. They tuned their foam to make sure it was high rebound, and they had a ton of foam, but it was very dense foam. Decently light for how much they had, but it was dense. It did not have a whole lot of squish to it. And what carbon fiber plates do is they basically cut your cushioning in half. That's not science. That's my own personal feeling. So if you had a shoe that had a 20 millimeter stack height in the heel and you're used to running on that, if you wedge a carbon plate in there, now it feels like a 10 millimeter stack height. It just stiffens everything up because there's less squish that happens. If you have it directly in the middle, the top 10 millimeter squish until they come into contact with their rigidity with the plate and the bottom 10 squish between the plate and the road. And it's happening simultaneously. So it cuts down on that 20 millimeter squish, both in times of duration and in effectiveness. So it really does enhance your time off the ground. Even though you might have a bigger stack height, you have 40 millimeters allowable of heel height now in shoes, which people would say that is going to have so much time before it rebounds up off the ground, but the plate effectively cuts that in half. So now it's back like you're running a 20 millimeter shoe. So you can have the ground contact time and rebound of a 20 mil shoe with the cushion of a 40 mil, but that 40 mil is essentially cut back in half to a 20 by most of these foams. Do they make it less stable as far as like going side to side? Absolutely. Yes. So to round out what we said with Hoka, their foam, they did not tune it to make it extra squishy or light. So when they added their plate in, it really firmed up the foam even more, and it became a shoe that was very punishing to run in. Then it's like running on, like, in platforms. Very much so. Platforms with purpose. Okay. So it did make you a little faster or a little more efficient for a while, but it also beat the crap out of your legs. Some people it responded very well to. Ian Kasky ran a 100-mile race in them. Loved them. I can barely run more than five or six miles in them straight before I start to have uh, Achilles and Soleus soreness. So they, I do not, in this day and age, looking back on it, that shoe sits in my basement right now. I would not call it a super shoe. It has a great plate, but it does not have super foam. And so it does not give you both ends of the spectrum. Mm. So that's kind of what we're talking about here is you have to have both pieces combined with the location and curvature of the plate to maximize what the shoe does for you. Mm -hmm. 
So then the next question, which you had is a logical question. If you have a stiff plate that is directing you forward, what happens laterally? I just feel like I would fall off of them. Yes. And some shoes like the Nike Alpha Fly, um, you put those on and walking's funky. You're like a baby, a baby deer. Yeah, at first it feels really weird, and it's hard to balance laterally. And so some shoes are really only fast in a straight line. So now you have a super shoe that is tuned correctly, has fantastic foam, great energy return, and supreme impact deadening on your legs. And it is slower on switchbacks. Because you have to take so long to chop your steps down to be able to corner correctly. Or on a very curvy 5K, even if in a straight line I would be 20 seconds faster in a 5K in that shoe than a regular shoe, I wouldn't be in a curvy 5K. If it was a road 5K where every single block you had to make a 90 degree turn, I would probably be just the same pace or slower than in a regular shoe in that shoe because it has no stability whatsoever. Makes sense. Mm Mm-hmm. So what what you have to find out then is what this is all coming to is matching the tool to the intended purpose. But we're going to stop right now with what makes a shoe a super shoe, and that is super foam with a plate that is positioned and and curved correctly to interact with the shoe, and that makes it a super shoe. I just feel a sneeze coming on. You gotta let it out. You can't fight that. <laughs> I'm trying to just. You're gonna well up. You start sniffing. I was trying to... I don't know what podcast etiquette is for sneezing, but... You can mute it, or you can just tell me you're going to sneeze and I will edit it out. So I'm making lunch today. Mira, our five-year-old, comes up and she loves helping uh, prepare food. She comes up, she asks what I'm making, she's leaning over all of the food I'm preparing, and she coughs right into it. Not sneeze, though. Not sneeze, but cough. But she has an ear infection, so she's got, like, stuff going on. What do you do? Throw it out? It's for her, so... <laughs> Let's rewind to the point where last year my New Year's Eve resolution was to stop eating so much touchy food. That's like, true. When in doubt, throw it out. So I have a bad... I'm the wrong person to ask about, should I eat this or not? It was for her, so I just carried on. But mm-hmm. I told her not to do that. That's good parenting. Thank you. Okay. Are you ready for the next question? Yeah. Cool. Um... All right. How does it make someone faster? Great question. All right. So there are really two types of shoes for super shoes in terms of how they make you faster. And Asics actually took that problem and made two different shoes for it. So the first way it can make you faster is by rocking you forward and getting you off the ground quicker with less energy. For the average person to hit the ground on their midfoot and then transition to a very strong, aggressive, fast toe-off requires a lot of energy to do so, and it really engages your rear chain. You have to push off and pull your foot up off the ground, and that needs hamstring engagement to do. If the shoe hits the ground and automatically is going to tip your foot forward with or without you, you are up off the ground without having to put the same force into the ground and without having to pull your foot up off the ground in the same manner. So it's like jumping on a trampoline. Whether you fall on the trampoline intending to jump or not, you're coming up off the trampoline. That's, again, oversimplification, but the shoe is going to tip you forward whether you want it to or not. So that's the first way these shoes make you faster is by propelling your stride through its cycle faster, more efficiently, and with less energy cost to you. 
There's also the super foam component, which gives you a faster rebound up off the ground, which only enhances your speed. Is and that why it's angled like that? Absolutely. Front? So if you look at the front of, let's even say just this shoe, this is the wrong shoe to show it because it actually doesn't have a super curvy plate, but it shows what they're going for in the shoe. You can see that front here. Now, because this is a trail shoe and just kind of a poor attempt at utilizing a plate, the plate should be a little bit more like this or like this so that as you hit it drops. Right now, if you hit four foot, there's nowhere for it to go. But you can see that intended toe off angle is going to rock you that way. Bracken, I feel like I'm watching Bill Nye the Science Guy when you're talking about shoes. Should I put? I should have put on a bow tie. Like I, I get lost in what you're saying, so I'm just picturing Bill Nye right in front of me. I'm okay with that. He's cool. Okay, so that's the first way it does it. It increases your stride rate and reduces your ground contact time and reduces the energy it takes to do those two things. Usually to increase your stride rate or decrease your ground contact time, it takes a concentrated effort to do that yourself. This does the effort part for you. Second way is the way that the other type of shoes do, which is by adding significant bounce to your stride. So that's what the Alpha Fly is. The Alpha Fly is not a tip and rock you forward. It is a land and launch you shoe. So one of them increases cadence. The other one probably slows cadence slightly, but greatly amplifies your force into the ground and helps you propel off forward. This one is kind of like running on mini trampolines especially in something like the Alpha Fly. Every time you hit the ground, you feel like you're kind of going to bounce yourself forward. The other one feels like you're kind of like the road runner where you're just brrr, turning over faster and faster and faster with a little bit of bounce. This is like boing, 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 running on the surface of the moon. Again, neither of those is accurate, but it's the idea. <laughs> Science. One, one is more cadence and high-speed turnover. The other is more bounce, more ground clearance, and way more energy return on what you're putting into the ground. And what ASICs studied, and they took a long time to bring their shoes to market. They put one out right away. It was called the Meta Racer. And it was kind of like the Hoka, but stripped down even further. Not a lot of cushioning. Very firm. The plate didn't do a ton for you, but it was just quick off the ground. Beat your legs up, but it was light and quick off the ground. And a lot of people liked it, but they took years to put out their Meta Speed series. But when they did, they instantly jumped up to the next best thing to Nike. And for some people, it was even better than Nike. And they have a stride-based and a cadence-based shoe. They discovered that there are two types of runners, those that... They accelerate by increasing their cadence and those that accelerate by increasing their stride length. So some people just get off the ground quicker and more often, and other people put more force into the ground and stride out further and accelerate that way. And so they made a shoe for each person. How do you know which one to get? Ideally, you look at your, your Garmin or your Strava and you see what does my cadence do when I run. How accurate is that? Very. It's the, uh, one of the things that is almost impossible for your watch to get wrong because it works with the accelerometer. And so it actually senses the movement and the jarring impact of every single stride. And with your arm coming forward back, you really can't fake your arm coming forward and back when you're running. Mm. How hard would it be to move your arm 50% faster than your legs when you're running? Yeah. So the accelerometer is really hard to fake. So it's, I would say it's close to 100% right. But does the shoe tell you? 
So how do you how do you take that information and use it to pick a shoe? Well, it's an interesting question because what I've found is that that's not necessarily true. I think that high cadence runners are high cadence runners. So those that run with a higher cadence always have a higher cadence. Those that doesn't can, matter what shoes they're wearing. Yeah, and those like me who are a low cadence runner but have higher cadence when they accelerate, they have a greater change in their cadence from slow to fast. So I think that over the course of maybe a marathon, which is what most of these shoes are designed for, it would matter more. So I have two options. There's the Alpha Fly and the Vaporfly. Nike basically has two versions. The Vaporfly is lighter and it tips you forward. The Alpha Fly launches you. I love the Alpha Fly, but I can run fast in the Vaporfly as well. But I don't know how long I could run fast in it for. So I'm a slower strider. <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> had some of those eggs we had for lunch coming back up. I'm a slower strider. I put more wattage into the ground when I accelerate. So the Alpha Fly works very well for me. I love it. It feels right. You have to find your sweet spot on it. But once I find it, I feel like I could run this stride a long time and it doesn't cost me much. The Vaporfly, I feel extremely fast in, but it kind of feels like going downhill in a bike that, uh, in a fixie where the wheels, the pedals have to spin with your speed, where I don't totally feel in control in that shoe. I'm certainly faster in the shoe, but I wouldn't want to be in it for hours. It would be like run a mile or a 5k, sure, but anything other than that, I need to feel in control. So I guess testing is the only way to do it which kind of sucks when all the shoes are over $200. Yeah, totally. But those are the two ways that a super shoe makes you faster. Well, and I guess there is a third way. So it reduces energy expenditure. It, re, it uh, either amplifies your stride length or your stride turnover. But the third major way that it makes you faster is in long races. It lessens the damage you're taking. So these shoes, if you can see on video here, like that Alpha Fly right up here, has just a massive stack of foam and you feel it. You'll you'll have never run in anything as squishy and bouncy as that shoe. You put it on and think, oh my goodness, I could run all day in this. I would just bounce around. And that's that's the purpose. Even if you weren't faster in the shoe, which you will be a little bit faster, you're going to be faster at mile 20 versus not being in that shoe because you won't feel like you're at mile 20 in terms of how beat up your legs are. You might feel like you're at mile 12 or 15 or 18, depending on how much of a responder you are to these shoes. So it may not make you faster in any one given mile versus any other shoe, but it will lessen the damage you take. And then if you're less beat up at the end of a marathon or an ultra, you're just faster because you can access more of your speed. Okay. So how come if you're running in sand? Yes. You're taking less damage, but you're just drained after like a short period of time. How come those shoes don't do the same? Is it all because of the plate? It's because of all of it. Okay. So sand has the impact deadening and that is it. When you step in sand, it is formless. It just moves away from you. It does not push back against you at all. So you put all your energy into the ground and then you it takes all of your energy away from you and gives nothing back to your foot. So you then have to manually pick your foot up and place it forward for the next stride. Okay. So you lose almost all your energy on every single step and it's totally formless. Where in the squishy shoes, it hits the plate and the road and their specialty is sending energy back up 
to your foot. Some of them are like 15 to 30% more energy return coming back off the road than a standard shoe, whereas sand would give you like less than 15 total percent of your energy back. Sand is just the worst. It Good is. question, though. Thanks. Are you ready for the next? Ready. Okay. I don't know if this, if we just kind of talked about this. Will any super shoe make me faster? Or no. does it depend on like cadence, what we were just talking about? Yeah. You were just talking about. So there's that part. There's the shoe that matches your running style, but there's also the actual biomechanics of your foot and your stride that really matters in shoes. So I have, let's see, in this room, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine different super shoes. Of those super shoes, I think there are, I'm going to say five shoes that I am noticeably faster in. Only five out of nine am I noticeably significantly faster in. And of those five, only three of those shoes am I faster in for a long period of time. Two of them I'm faster in for a mile or a 5K and nothing beyond that. So not every shoe makes me faster. And with the athletes I've worked with, not every shoe makes them faster. And then with the athletes that you talk to or see online, not every shoe makes them faster. So um, one athlete in particular, I'm blanking on who this was, might have been Jared Ward. I'm not entirely sure. I think Jared Ward, I'm going to, maybe I'm confusing him with two other people, but he's a BYU guy and they have a very good lab there. And he did a ton of super shoe testing and found that he was a responder to the Saucony Endorphin Pro, the one above me, more so than the Nikes. And at the time, everyone wore Nike and Nike feels lighter and bouncier, but he was actually more efficient with the Endorphin Pro than he was with the Nikes. And then there was someone else. I think it was a, a Canadian runner. Might have set their national record uh, for the females. And she signed with a pro team after testing all of the shoes out individually. She found the super shoe that worked best for her and then signed with that brand. And it wasn't Nike. Get a little eggs come up too? <laughs> this is tough to go right from eating lunch to recording in a small booth with your partner. We're professionals. <laughs> we are professionals and romantic. <laughs> so no, not everyone will work for you. And it's not just about which plate is best and which foam is best for you. That does matter a lot. However, it's all about how your foot action is. So for example, this shoe right here is the Adidas Adios Pro 2. It is a really, really good super shoe. When I first put this on, I hated the shoe because it does not work for my form. What this shoe wants to do is roll you outwards. At the back on the heel, if you're looking, you can even see the outside of the heel has a significant difference in height compared to the inside of the heel. And so if you hit back in your foot at all, all this thing wants to do is roll to the outside. And even with the, the positioning of the cushioning and the insole and everything, it just feels made to tip outwards. Well, I naturally am a little bow-legged and run on the outside of my feet anyway. So this took my worst trait and amplified it. I was very close to sending it back. And then I read one more review on it. And that review said something along the lines of, I almost sent the shoe back. And then I took it out for another run. And I experimented with how to run in it. And as soon as I found my stride, the shoe clicked. And so I did that. And that happened. But just this week, I finally put it away because I'm sick of it. 
it returns a lot of energy for me. It's super bouncy and it has, I'm going to show it from the bottom here, it has exposed foam here. It has rods in here rather than a full plate. So it gives all the structure. It gives all the structure to the foam that it needs and it provides that curvature to move forward, but it has space to have a little bit of wiggle room side to side, a little more flexibility. And one thing that the carbon fiber plates do is they can cause any place of issue on the bottom of your foot, it highlights that. And so a lot of times my feet will go numb in certain carbon fiber shoes. Those fingers, those rods of carbon fiber, or I think they actually use glass for theirs, it alleviates that pressure on my feet. So I really like all of it, but I have to run so intentionally in one way in that shoe to get any amount of propulsion and effort or in, uh, in comfort out of the shoe that it's just not even worth it anymore now that I have so many other good shoes. So if I can run correctly and hit the ground the way that shoe wants to hit the ground, I'm very fast in that shoe compared to without that shoe. Significantly faster. Talking five plus seconds per mile faster with the same amount of effort and less impact. But it's just a chore for me to hit that. And when I fatigue at all, I can't find that, that landing spot anymore. And I can't keep my legs doing what it wants me to do. So I'm actually faster in that shoe right up into the point where I'm not. And then it amplifies everything. And I believe I would get IT band issues off that shoe. Is that something if, let's say, I were buying my own shoes... I go to a store and I'm trying on shoes. That's something you know when you first try it on, or is that something that you need to actually yeah. like run around in for a week or whatever? You'll know right away if the shoe is made for your foot or not. Like I put the Alpha Fly on and I thought this feels wild and weird, but this is right. Okay. I put on the Endorphin Pro and I think this is really stiff and it might beat me up, but man, this works for my foot. I put on that Adios Pro 2 and thought, Oh, this is funky and I don't like it. I made it work for me, but it was not made for me. Okay. So yeah, I think you know right away. Now, even with the Alpha Fly, I have to run a certain way to maximize it. I'm like three to four seconds per mile faster in that shoe, however I want to run in it. But if I lean forward into my stride and really focus on kind of bouncing off the ground rather than rolling through, I'm like eight to 10 seconds per mile faster. So there's a way it wants to be run in, but your foot knows whether the shoe will work or not. I think relatively early on. Well, like you said, they're super expensive, so you don't want to just buy a bunch yeah. and then luck or whatever. And then what these shoes do is they often have a path that the plate wants to follow. It is very stiff. Carbon fiber, the way um, most of it is unidirectional, where it will bend one way and not the other, and some it will just not bend at all. So it has the path it wants to follow through. When you impact the ground, no matter where you hit, it's going to right itself and follow through. And if that is counterintuitive to what your stride wants to do, it can actually injure you. So there's this shoe. I want to say, okay, New Balance um, RC Elite 2. I have it. I really like it. Like I already talked about, I run on the outside of my foot. This shoe rolls everyone inwards everyone. I was running behind someone in high rocks when I was doing doubles with Michelle Aiken. And this woman in front of us had the shoe and I, it looked like her ankle was going to be touching the ground by the end of the race on the inside. It was just tipping so far in because that's what that shoe does. So for me, I have to work against that shoe slightly, but because my foot wants to go outside and the shoe wants to push me inwards, I'm kind of just neutral on that shoe. And the same thing with the Asics Hyper or Metaspeed Sky, which is what I ran my most recent Hyrox in, is just made for my body. 
a lot of people tip inwards in that shoe and I am almost perfectly neutral in that shoe. And I'm very rarely perfectly neutral. I'm outwards tipping. So some shoes just work for me and they would amplify someone who already rolls inwards and it would make them super unstable because the plate's going to do what the plate wants to do. Okay. So what are the drawbacks or are there drawbacks? Well, the drawbacks are that if you don't get the right shoe for your stride, you risk really injuring yourself because you're going to be using the shoe's mechanics rather than your own. And like we talked about with mine, it can either enhance your mechanics in a good way or in a bad way, or it can fight against your mechanics. And if it enhances it in a bad way, that is the recipe for disaster. That's how IT bands or ankle issues start. Also, these are extremely firm shoes. And that takes people by surprise. Some of the shoes are just firm, like the Saucony Endorphin Pro is a bouncy, fun shoe, but it is not squishy. And you know that you are taking a bit of a beating while running in it. But something like the Alpha Fly or the Vaporfly or the um, the RC Elites or things like that, the, the foam is so squishy that you think, oh, this is so good for me. It's so much impact deadening. But the plate is immovable. It is rigid. And so it's forcing your feet to stay in the same position for the most part all the way through your stride. It takes some of the natural flexion and extension out of your ankle and your feet, and it just does the work for you. But as a result, your foot kind of just hits, and it transfers a lot of pressure and energy up that rear chain, up your Achilles. Mm -hmm. And so some people, like Galen Rupp had Achilles surgery within two years of starting in on this. He was out for 10 months, and it was the beginning of the end of his career. He won his Olympic bronze medal, I believe he was bronze in Rio, in the Nike AlphaFly prototype, I believe, unless it was the Vaporfly prototype. And he got his medal arguably because of that shoe. It was a prototype and no one else other than the high-end Nike athletes had it. There was so a there, drama about that, wasn't there? Yeah. In yeah. fact, they had to make a rule that the, the even at, they started by making it that all shoes had to be available to all people for at least, I think it was six months prior to any race. And then they changed it now to the prototypes have to be available for pro athletes. Like at least your competition has to have that shoe or a comparable offering from another brand in order to run it. At the time, it was him, Elu Kipchoge, and there were only like three to five athletes in the Rio games who had a super shoe on their feet because it hadn't been invented prior and it was Nike's big secret. So he got his gold Olympic bronze medal from that shoe and it also led to the downfall of his career. He's had nothing but Achilles issues since. Now it may have been the fact that he'd been running in track spikes since he was six or it may have been that the super shoes finally tipped his Achilles over the edge. But Achilles issues are up a lot since super shoes have been implemented. So what, you just stop running in them? You can or you use them sparingly. Super shoes have to be adapted to, so you have to do enough of your long runs or long quality sessions in them to be able to handle that different type of foot strike, toe off, and impact of the shoe. Because just because it's helping you doesn't mean that new pathway is easy for your body. Mm -hmm. It might feel great for 10K, but 18 miles into a marathon, your hip flexors might be shot because you're not used to moving in that pattern, even if it's an easier pattern. So you have to move in that way long enough that you can take the demands of your race but not do too much of it to get injured. And it's very healthy to alternate that shoe with other shoes that promote the exact opposite of what that shoe is doing to balance it out and make sure that you have a healthy, holistically strong foot. 
So that's a, a significant drawback is that injuries can rise. So like when barefoot running came around in the Vibram, uh, was that Vibram? Five finger shoe? Think so. Vibram. Uh, all these Nike free and all that. Stress fractures went up like 280% Ooh. that decade. But people's health of running and feet, the people that adapted well to it, their quality of life also skyrocketed. Like if you did it well and it worked for your foot, it was great for you. But if it didn't, you got a stress fracture. And the same thing with these super shoes. Super shoes have made everyone faster. They've allowed people to do more mileage, more big workouts, but Achilles injuries have skyrocketed since this has come on. So they're not as much about stress fractures. They're more about stressing the soft tissue involved in the uh, mechanics of running. So that's a significant downfall as well. For sure. Mm-hmm. Don't want to be injured. No, and not an Achilles. You'd almost rather have a stress fracture than an Achilles issue. So sure. even though like the pendulum swung all the way to the left with barefoot and people are like, that's terrible. You have to do it so specifically well to get it right. And then it swung back to the right and they're like, finally, ton of cushioning, but you're, they look like clown shoes. Well, you still have to be very careful and do it intentionally right in order to not get hurt in order, and in order to maximize the benefits. Because not every super shoe will work for your body. I could run in that Alpha Fly probably every day and be just fine. It has a lower drop, extremely cushiony ride, and it works for my stride. If I ran in the Endorphin Pro every day, I would have Achilles and Soleus issues within the week. I raced in the Endorphin Pro. I made my last Spartan podium at a stadium in that shoe. Wore it around all day and felt great. And then the next day I was very sore. So it's a great... These are tools. They're not designed to be your daily diet. Is it a tool you would recommend for someone like me who is not chasing times or, um, I don't, I don't know. It's not. Okay. No. If, if it were, it, I would recommend it for a watered down version of it. I think the super foam would be beneficial to you. And that fuel cell rebel that I got for you, the black New Balance one, mm-hmm. that has super critical foam in it. That has the same foam that this shoe right here has in it. It doesn't have a plate to it, so it's very squishy. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of formless. It's a very flexible shoe. There's no, there's no plate with it. So that kind of foam can keep you healthier. It can help your long runs. It can help you feel faster on some days. And it just changes the stress of running. So that kind of thing, I think, is beneficial. And there are some super shoes that have almost no noticeable effect to them. Like, is it still a super shoe then? No, and that's that was kind of my point at the okay. beginning. Like, it has to have both components of the plate and the foam and the proper everything to be able to show that you're better. There are like the, the New Balance RC Elite 2s. I am not faster in, but I will do every long run for the rest of the time that shoe's being manufactured in that shoe because it's so soft and cushioned and makes my stride feel great on pavement. When I came back from my quadricep tendinopathy and we did our first couple runs together, that's what I wore outside because it was a way of running on pavement without taking the pounding of running on pavement. Mm-hmm. So there are benefits to people other than just speed, but then you have to be careful about the plate and the stiffness. Can they label any shoe a super shoe? Yeah, just like you can say like eating this pudding is going to burn 50% of your fat overnight. <laughs> You know, you see all those people in their MLMs online. You can say anything you want, but... Feels like it should be against the rules. Yeah. There should, should be, be strict criteria for calling it a super shoe. Well, and for example, Brooks. The Brooks Hyperion um, Elite, I believe. The version one of it 
was worse than any shoe I've ever run in in my life. It was so bad. And two really wasn't much better. It fixed Yet, the if upper. it's their first, that's that's in line with like... Yeah, but it was worse than every other brand's offering on oh, their okay. first. And then their second one didn't get much better. It was less terrible, but it's still bad. Okay. Where I would run in a regular shoe over that shoe. And then the third version, they finally started to get a little better in. But that's the one John DeWitt has been running in because he because he runs for Brooks. Hmm. And he's always right on the edge of qualifying. And I just know that if he were in a different shoe... He'd be making it. Shots fired. It's not shots fired. That's just, it's unfortunate when you, that's the only shoe he can run in. So yes, to answer, there is a benefit for some people who don't have performance goals, but in that case, you have to be just as careful about what shoe you choose and why. Yeah, it's not necessarily getting a super shoe. It's more the right ingredients to yeah. the shoe. I was talking with Richard Diaz about this at High Rocks after the race. Mm-hmm. He said, I heard you were injured. I said, yeah, this is my second time on pavement in 15 weeks. And I, so I wore the, I wore the, I went all in on this big comfy super shoe. And he said, oh, that's a big mistake. That changes the way people run. And he and I do not see eye to eye on shoes, Mm -hmm. but I agree with him in that many of these super shoes are like formula one race cars. The average person does not belong in the cockpit. Mm -hmm. You're only going to, good job. You didn't even giggle there. Why? Oh. You laughed at balls of feet, but you didn't laugh about cockpit. <laughs> it was just the way you said it. It was funny. Like, you have, I don't know, you have like a ball of your foot, but not balls. <laughs> the balls of your feet. I don't know. It just sounds funny. <laughs> All right. Anyways, back to cockpit. The average person doesn't belong driving a Formula One car, and they wouldn't be any faster in it. If you put them in their own car and have had them drive a road circuit mm-hmm. in their like Toyota Camry. They would well, they'd be, feel more comfortable in their own car. Yeah, and they would know how to use it, and yeah. it would suit their skill level. Yeah. If you put them in an Indy car or Formula One car and put them on that road, odds are they couldn't get it to the finish line. And if they did, it would not be in one piece. Or if they did and kept it healthy and straight, they would be just feathering it the whole way, just, just to get around the course. And that's how some of these really aggressive super shoes are. It just doesn't belong on certain runners. Every runner can find one of these shoes that works for them, but some of them, it's just not worth it. And if you are using it, it's only worth using when you're intending to go fast for most of these shoes. Some of these shoes, like John Albans talked about, he used the Alpha Fly for some of his uh, aerobic running, which he's doing at high under aerobic. So just like a moderately quick, relaxed run. He's using it to absorb impact and stay healthy. That's great. That's a great way to use it. But his easy days are also faster than most people's fast days. So it is a tool, and you have to use it for the right reason. There's that old saying, when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. I've never heard that. No? Mm-mm. Yeah. Well, that's kind of how these shoes are. They encourage you to run fast. And there are days you don't want the shoe on your foot because it's not appropriate. When all you have is a tortilla, everything looks like it should go in it. <laughs> Wow. Fridge magnet. I wrote that for you. <laughs> like macaroni. I thought you were going to say everything looks like a taco. Oh, you're saying I put all my food inside a yes. tortilla. I'm a little slow on the uptake, Lisa. Chicken nuggets. Yeah, spaghetti. Spaghetti noodles. Oh, I suppose spaghetti and meatballs. Yeah. Yeah, inside of that? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> the tortilla is the edible plate. 
I just felt like I had to make it more relatable. I'd never heard the nail hammer thing. But you think everyone's heard the, <laughs> when you have a tortilla, everything goes in it. That old chestnut. <laughs> it's a tale as old as time. Yes, it is. Babies and bathwater. Kirk loves talking about babies and bathwater, and I just don't get it. You should never throw the baby out with the bathwater, Kirk. Just kidding. All right. What's next? Okay. Well, what are the other benefits to super shoes? Or did we cover that? Well, the only other benefit would be the health while training. The John Albin style, using it like a poor man's Alter-G treadmill to reduce the force of running, the impact of running. If you love to run, but you just break down from impact, some of these shoes are an option for keeping you healthy. Would they be a good tool for coming back from an injury if, say, they're more... Some, yes. Some some are going to amplify that issue. Some, like, for me, the Alpha Fly is a safe way to jog after an injury. For other people, that would probably rock their world. Yeah, I suppose we kind of talked about that. Yeah. Again, it's like anything else. It's super, super personal. You can't just choose the one that the top pros are running in. Because I've tried that. I've run in most of the super shoes out there for the last eight years, and... Very many of them do not work well for me. And some, I'm not convinced, work at all. There's this shoe here, the Puma Deviate Nitro Elite. To me, that has none of the super shoe properties. Hold on, you just started sounding different in the microphone. Really? Am I back now? Yeah. The shoe behind me, the Puma Deviate Nitro Elite, does not have any of the super shoe benefits to me. I'm going to grab it. No, look. Oh, you're flexing. I thought it was stuck. I didn't know. If you look at, now most people can't even see it, but there's almost no curvature to this shoe and the stack height is relatively low. So it has super foam. I love their foam. There's just not enough of it to do much to it. And the plate, if you take a look at this line here, this is the angle of the plate. It can't possibly propel you forward. This is the shoe Molly Seidel won the bronze medal at the Olympics this past cycle in the marathon. People from Wisconsin. She's from Wisconsin. People rush to buy this shoe. This shoe does not make me faster at all. I feel zero benefit, and it really wants to push you to the outside. I can't help but think it's part of the reason that she has so many lower leg and hip issues is she's like me, a little toed in, a little, little, oh, she runs more knock-kneed than bow-legged, but this would just amplify any stride imperfection. It is I, pretty, though. It's very pretty. I could wear this for a stadium race or a road mile, but if I wanted return from the shoe, this just wouldn't do it for me. This would be the last shoe I would choose out of my nine super shoes that I currently have in this room. There's just no benefit to it. So it's just so... And again, this won a bronze medal. I think the U.S. women have only won three Olympic marathon medals in history. She has one of them. I think that's the stat. Either way, this is one, one of the only American marathon medals ever and this shoe would not make me better one bit. So it's very, very, very athlete dependent. I'm not even going to try putting this back up. I'm just going to be bare back there. All right, what do we have next year, Ms. Crocker? All right, so what about trails? Oh, so this is, they've been trying to, to jam this square peg in a round hole. I have heard that phrase before. You've heard that? Yeah. Since the moment super shoes were created. They've been trying to translate it to the trails. And the great thing about the trickle down of any sort of technology is that it's always beneficial. Everyday road shoes now, 
are twice as good as they were two decades ago because of what super shoes are doing is trickling down. But this hasn't quite trickled down to the trails the way people hoped it would. And it's because the trails are not constant. There is no constant variable out of the trail. So if you wanted to run a dirt road or a gravel marathon, there are shoes that will work for that. But when your terrain changes, it negates the benefit of the super shoe. And the best analogy I have for this is that the super shoe for running is like arrow bars for cycling. They're super effective as long as you stay down on the arrow bars. Every time you pop up, you negate the benefits because the benefits add up over time. And it's about putting together minutes after hours of aerodynamic position uninterrupted. That's how the super shoe is. It wants to start rolling and get rolling and stay rolling unimpeded. Every time you have to decelerate and recelerate, you don't get the benefit of the shoe during that moment. Every time you have to turn, most of these shoes, you're not getting the benefit. Anytime you can't hit with the proper foot placement, you're not getting the maximum return off the foam and most importantly, out of the plate. So it's not doing its job for you. But as soon as it can't do its job correctly, all of its flaws get highlighted. Now it's very unstable and tippy side to side. Even the most stable shoes, super shoes, can only be run on light trails. Now, they have tried to fix this in many different ways. So the first, I'm trying to think, the first one that really tried, really, really tried was the North Face Flight Vective series. And that shoe did nothing for me. It was heavy. It was dense. If you ran slightly downhill, I'm talking like 2 to 7% downhill, I felt a little something from that shoe. But that was it. It did not help me one bit anywhere else, and you always had to worry about the terrain. Now, John John Albin loved that shoe, but he was also coming from running in the VJ Extreme and the IROC. So it's hard to really tell in that one-off case how good it was. And then Hoka tried to fix this. They came out with the Hoka Tecton X, which up until that point was probably the best carbon fiber offering. Now, they did a dual-density midsole. That means that you have two different density foams, a top and the bottom, and theirs may or may not have been super critical, but it was kind of like the Carbon X, where even if it was a super foam, you really couldn't tell. It was still dense. It still didn't feel that squishy, and they tried to solve the instability of the carbon plate by making two of them and smaller. Two plates? Two plates. So side by side, like think of skis. Mm-hmm. That's how it sits in there. Oh. So that it has flex side to side, but it still rolls forward. Pretty good. Really good idea. In execution, I'd give it a C plus. On smooth terrain, on downhills, you can feel a little bit of pop from the carbon plate. But because they couldn't give a big scoop to the plate, you don't get that rocking forward of the plate. And then all you're getting from the plate is the pop off of the foam. It's up-down pop. It's not a forward propulsion pop, which is, in in my opinion, is the secret sauce, is the forward propulsion pop forward off the foam, not just a vertical up-down pop. And the reason they couldn't do that is because if it only tips you forward, if you step on anything other than smooth, it's tipping you no matter what's happening. Mm-hmm. So if you step slightly off camber or on a rock or something, it's going no matter what, and that's Ankle Breaker City. So... They have made, and a lot of people love that shoe for for ultras. It does have some benefit to it. 
and it's lighter because of the supercritical foam, even though it's not a dynamic foam. It has the same stack height as the Speedgoat, but it's like an ounce and a half lighter. So for that purpose alone, it's an improvement, but I would almost want to see that Tecton X with no plate because the, the Speedgoat is so much more stable on technical terrain. I'd love to just see it as a lighter, more rocked, rockered version of that shoe. And then the shoe behind us, the Speedland, um, they have a removable carbon fiber plate in it, but that plate is really 50% rock protection and 50% extra pop up off the ground off of your off of your foam, but it has no propulsion. It has no rocker effect to it at all. And that's really what you're getting on the trails right now is you're getting shoes that if they have a plate, it is intended to stabilize the foam and give you some pop up off the ground, but it does not rock and propel you forward like a road shoe can. Because if they use that extreme angle, you're not stable at all. The closest to that is the Saucony Endorphin Edge. It has like a two-thirds distance plate. It starts under your foot and goes to your toe. And it's a dual, um, I think it's a unidirectional carbon fiber plate, so it can bend down but not up. Or maybe it's the opposite way. It can bend up but not down. Either way, it's more adaptable to the trails. You do get a bit of the rocker. It has the same foam as the Saucony Endorphin Pro Road Shoe, and it has a bit of its speed roll. Saucony's speed roll is designed to just rocker you forward. It has a bit of that. That's probably the closest to a super shoe for the trails that you can currently buy, but it's also one of the more unstable shoes, and it doesn't have good lockdown. If they improve the upper, you'd be probably sitting at your best case scenario there for the trails. Um, so are there any you recommend at this point, or do you think, like, wait a few more years until they really get it on lock? Yeah. I mean, as you can see on my wall, I don't have a single trail super shoe on the wall. These are all my favorite shoes or best shoes I've run in outside of the Speedland. I just had that one up there because I had to pop something up there before the episode because I had an open space there. I don't think it's there yet. Now, the Jason Silva, a guy I work with, loves the Endorphin Edge. He is, he says he is faster in it. He wore it for the Spartan Trifecta Championships in Greece this year, which is a pretty rugged race, and you have water crossings and mud, and he said it was phenomenal. No instability, no issues whatsoever. So, again, it's really personal. Yep. I wouldn't say, if you, ha- if you have money to burn and you have the interest in this kind of thing, try out the Tecton X. It's on sale for like $134 on a running warehouse right now in almost every size. It's a good shoe. You're not going to get Vaporfly results from it, but it's a good shoe and you can test it out. If you're really interested, try the Saucony Endorphin Edge, but it's still sitting at $200. So I wouldn't recommend dropping $200 on it unless you've got $200 to burn and if it doesn't work out, you're fine with that. But there are some shoes coming. Uh, the North Face is constantly working on these things. The Their athletes at Western States, maybe not Western States, but definitely UTMB this year had their new shoe. John Albans had it on, and they all seem to like it. The reviewers are kind of they have, saying they haven't quite solved it yet. But Adidas actually has their, basically their Adios Pro 3 for the trails. And Tom Evans, I believe, wore it at UTMB, and some other people did as well. Uh, The third place finisher at UTMB had it on their feet, I believe. Uh, It really looks like a road super shoe with a little extra support and some minor lugs to it. But what it's going to come down to is that the tame trails will have super shoes that can work for it. 
and the steeper and more technical or sloppy the trails get, the less there could even be a benefit from it, even if they ever figured it out. So if you're West Coast, yeah, running Western states in a super shoe might be beneficial someday. If you run an East Coast trail, it will never be beneficial. So I just don't think the tech is there yet, but there are a few shoes, the Endorphin Edge, um, the and the Tecton X that are at least worth running in because they're just good shoes. They're just not super. They're like whatever, whatever that is in between, a regular shoe and a super shoe. They're a... Uh, baby super. A baby super shoe, <laughs> yeah. So at, those, though, you wouldn't be able to go to the store and try them on, right? I mean, like... You have to be at a specialty store. Try. I mean, not even that. Just if you on put the them on, like, yeah, would would you even get a feel for it in the store? No, you wouldn't. So you really do have to buy them if you want to yep. try them. Yeah, and then once you're out on the trail, like even running warehouse, I don't return shoes to after I've worn them on a trail. I'll you can, though, after. right? Is there, like, 90 days? I don't know what they're... They have 90 day, no questions asked, but I don't want to send it back with you know, parts of the foam ripped off on it or one oh, of the okay. lugs scratched or whatever. So that's really nice of you. REI is probably the only one that no questions asked. They'll take anything at any point. Yeah. So basically on the roads, it is scientifically an absolute provable fact that super shoes will make you faster on the trails. That's not provable yet. The right shoe on the right trail for the right foot. Yes. It's not there. Okay, well, there's like a whole sea of shoes, mm-hmm. many options. How do you pick a shoe? I was just asked this yesterday on Instagram, and the answer is not a definitive one in terms of just do this and you're you're saved. It's too bad. You need like a like a chart that has like if your foot does this or if you do this, mm-hmm. then you want this shoe. And you can give all those rules. But it doesn't change the fact that it's so personal. So Even like a place to start, you know? Place to start. We could do that. We could do a place to start. And probably we, we should. You should. Yeah. Maybe Kirk and I will get to work on that when we're both back from vacation. Or when I can't sleep overseas, I'll get to work on it there. Boom. Look at me. I'm the idea person. I'm just here for my looks. Yep. <laughs> so here's what you do. You go to the biggest, best specialty running store around you. And you try on every single shoe that you can. And you narrow it down to the five or so shoes that feel the best just on putting your foot in them. And you run in them on their treadmill or out on their sidewalk. And then you choose the one or two that feel best doing that. And that's where you start. And you branch out from there. It's as simple as that. And if you need a better starting place, you look at the shoes that have worked for you in the past. You look at what their drop is. Are they neutral? Do they support pronation or supination? Uh, what stack height on those shoes works well. And you just Google your shoe and it will give you all those stats. And then you go in, let's say it's you run best in neutrally cushioned shoes that are between 20 and 26 mil in the heel and have between four and eight mil drop overall. You go in and you tell them those things. And a specialty running store will know what to do. And then they're going to give you every one of those options and you try them all on. That's really the only way to get through this. And for shoes that, like a super trail shoe or some super shoes that don't exist at stores, then you just have to go to Running Warehouse and order two or three and try them on and do that at your house and then send back the ones you don't want. You should add that to the chart. Like if you run in this. Okay. Yeah. Deal. Boom. Is that the last one? Yep. 
That's it. Long story short, super shoes work. At this point, it is a proven fact. They also can hurt you. At this point, it's a proven fact. And not every shoe works for everyone, so you have to find the shoe that works for you. And if you are in doubt, don't get them. They are not necessary. They have super spikes now. They are very effective. And yet every championship, there's someone who runs in their old school ones that they prefer, and they do just fine. Super shoes are an accessory. They are a tool for a job, and they are not required. So if you want them, yeah, go for it. If you don't, there's no pressure to join the super shoe world. It's just all about what works for your foot. That's it. Good advice. Do you think that we lost more or less than 50% of our people throughout the 70 minutes of talking about shoes? You know, I tried to, like, throw some pizzazz in there every now and then. Like You made fun of Kirk. When you get a tortilla, what do you add? Or whatever. Added Mira coughing into the lunch pizzazz <laughs> so to answer your question probably about half of the listeners i'd say about half yeah if we kept 50 percent, i'm a happy man but how does the count know the count the counter doesn't know as long as people start listening that's right adds to your millie look at you saying millie <laughs>